Welcome to the Academic Freedom Podcast, a production of the Academic Freedom Alliance. We interview leading scholars from a diverse array of backgrounds and ideologies about the principles that underlie free speech in academia. Now here's the host of today's episode, Keith Whittington. Thank you for joining us on the Academic Freedom Podcast for the latest installment in our regular series of conversations hosted by the Academic Freedom Alliance on issues of campus free speech and academic freedom. I'm Keith Whittington, the William Nelson Cromwell Professor of Politics at Princeton University and the chair of the Academic Committee of the Academic Freedom Alliance. The Academic Freedom Alliance is a group of professors from across the ideological spectrum organized to defend the principles of academic freedom in American universities and to assist individual professors whose rights to free speech are under threat. You can find out more about the organization and its mission by visiting our website at academicfreedom.org. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Dan Cullen of Rhodes College. Dan is a professor of philosophy at Rhodes and directs the Project for the Study of Liberal Democracy. He is also a senior fellow at the Jack Miller Center for Teaching America's Constitutional Principles and History. Of immediate interest, he was a member of the Academic Leaders Task Force on Campus Free Expression. The task force was assembled by the Bipartisan Policy Center, a DC think tank which focuses on a variety of policy issues, including education, as the name suggests, the Bipartisan Policy Center tries to bring together political leaders and policy specialists from across the political aisle to try to identify policy solutions with broad ideological appeal. The Campus Free Expression Task Force had the unusual composition of including politicians, university presidents, and leaders of non-government organizations. Dan was the only professor on the task force. Uh, their report, Campus Free Expression, A New Roadmap, is unusually wide ranging and we'll provide a link to it in the report, uh, to the report in the show notes. So thank you for joining me, Dan, and welcome to the Academic Freedom Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, Keith. I'm a, a fan of the podcast, uh, longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I wanna focus uh, on the report um, and its recommendations, but let me start with, with you. Um, uh, you've been thinking about campus free speech issues uh, for a while, and Rhodes College has has its own set of campus free speech controversies over time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background experience in dealing with these topics, and then we'll work into uh, how you found yourself involved with this task force? Yes, well, my, my training is in political philosophy, and, and indeed, until this past fall, I was a member of the political science department. I've now migrated to philosophy with, with some of my colleagues and we're sort of uh, re, reinventing the philosophy program at, at Rhodes perhaps. But I've, you know, I've long been teaching John Stuart Mill and the classic liberal tradition and, and critiques thereof. Um, I think around uh, 2015 and, and certainly in 2017 with the Charles Murray uh, episode at, at Middlebury, I, I took a closer look at the campus free speech issues. I mean, I started my academic career more than 30 years ago when, when this was the issue, right? And uh, it occurred to me recently that uh, in, a, in a way I've spent my entire professional life living in the environment where um, campus free speech and, and um, challenges um, and accusations of, of a of, you know, tension between freedom and, and equality were, were manifest uh, everywhere. And, 
just recently, I was looking back on some writings from that period uh, to get a sense of what was being said then and, and you know, how have predictions for the future panned out. But two of, two of my children attended Middlebury, and so I had a, and, and were, were very happy uh, there. Uh, and that really got my attention because Middlebury was a school very much like, like Rhodes, and I had friends there and, and so on. Um, and around that time, I also noticed a new, um, not really a trend, but a phenomenon in, in some of my classes where students were becoming uh, more reluctant to engage on the topics that I had always taught. You know, political philosophy is nothing but the big, biggest conflicts about the biggest permanent questions. And I remember one, one day, this was a, a, a revelation to me, it was a philosophy of law class, and it was about week three, and a student who had been just, you know, uh, engaged, uh, over the top engaged, like hand constantly uh, up in class discussion type student, uh, hadn't said anything for about two or three classes in a row. And I said, you know, what's, what's going on? You've, you've been on fire uh, in, in this course. And uh, her response was, it's, it's not worth it to me. Hmm. And I said, what do you mean? Uh, and she told me that she had been getting uh, blowback on social media. And honestly, I had no idea that this was a thing, you know, in student right. life. We, I think we professors think of our students as people who exist only in our classroom and don't have much of a sense of what life is like uh, out, outside of it for them. But I, um, I thought that that was really, uh, it was both, you know, tremendously disconcerting, but it was, it was new to me. And now that's really become um, a palpable problem on, on campus. And I, I can say more about what I discovered uh, in that regard recently from teaching a course this past semester on the topic. But also lastly, a couple of years ago, uh, I was asked to be on a campus-wide committee to look at our, our policies regarding freedom of speech, freedom of, of inquiry. Um, I was nominated by the student government uh, for this. And this ended up being a two year long process for the first, I, I only joined it in the, the second year. The first year the committee kind of fumbled about not really uh, getting a, a focus. In the second year um, we did more and, and in part I, I um, asked members of the committee to read to read your book and uh, a couple of other excellent sources on this on this topic. But um, you know nothing has been done with the report that was finished two years ago it was delivered to our then president who has since since departed. And as I look back on it, it's it's not a terribly useful report because it is just relentlessly, uh, compromising and balanced and, and trying to, um, you know, mitigate or, or address the specific concerns of every constituency. And so um, in terms of guidance, I'm, I'm not quite sure that it, it's um, helpful and, and who knows what's, what's really going to become of it. It hasn't been submitted uh, to the faculty for adoption yet. And um, 
I'm not sure in hindsight if, if I'd, I'd want to endorse it. It's got lots of good things in it, but again, I think it fudges right. just far too much to be uh, a useful a useful document. So at the time when you when y'all turned in the report to the president's office, were you reasonably happy with it? Um, uh, or, and, and only in hindsight, do you look back on it and think, oh, this was too compromised? Or, or even at the time, were you uh, not terribly happy? I think I, I was, uh, I'll say happy enough. You know, I've, I've discovered that um, if, if you want to really make change in an institution as complex and diverse as a, as a university, you know, you need to be seeking uh, compromise all, all the time. Uh, I think the report says uh, lots of, of good things. Uh, I think it also tends to undercut them uh, too often, and especially on, on this point, which I think is fundamental to this whole issue. And that is the, um, you know, freedom, freedom of speech, okay, but when it menaces our commitment to inclusion, that's where we draw the line. And I think that that's, that's a mistake. Uh, it's a mistake in, in, in formulating the, the problem. And it's, I think it's mistaken as, as a response, but uh, I think that attitude kind of characterizes our, our report, the Rhodes report. I wanna be yes. careful to distinguish it from the other one. Yes, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge I've been, have to admit, I've been thinking about myself uh, of late and had reason to think about myself of late about um, uh, the process of producing uh, reports for collective bodies <laughs> and the challenges um, of making compromises um, uh, while also still trying to make sure uh, that the final result is one that you're uh, content with and makes points that you think are important. Um, and, and as you say, compromise is, is often necessary to do lots of things um, on university campuses as well as, as, well as elsewhere. Um, but sometimes it's also important to um, be able to stake out your individual positions and be clear about them as well. Um, I assume that you're more content with the uh, task force uh, report that um, uh, that we're uh, going to talk about today, um, and think it's uh, less compromised on these dimensions. Yes, and uh, I'll just back up and, and add on on the Rhodes experience that I think this is an issue on which faculty really ought to have a dominant voice and on the ground in um, actually managing the kinds of situations that, that arise, it seems to uh, all be student affairs. And one of my uh, pet peeves has been that college, my college especially, but I think this is a trend, uh, colleges and universities tend to just uh, devolve academic orientation to the student affairs side of, of things. And guess what? You know, with notable exceptions like, like Purdue, uh, nobody's paying attention to orienting students to what is, after all, the primary mission of the institution they're, they're joining. And there's no reason why we should expect students to know what the principles are and what the policies are and, and, and so on. Uh, and, and it's just been neglected. And so I'm, one of the things I am concerned about is getting, um, not taking over orientation, but at least introducing to it, um, you know, a module as they now say on, on the subject of free speech and 
free inquiry, what academic freedom is and, and isn't, et cetera. And I don't think the student affairs um, people uh, are, are really prepared to do that or, or inclined to do it. And I honestly, I wouldn't expect them to, to be prepared to, to do it. Um, but we, we do mention um, yeah. orientation in the, in the report. As and in, student affairs offices. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're as you say, they're, they're terribly important as to how these things actually play out on campus and including on freshman orientation um, uh, issues. And, um, uh, you know, we often, as faculty, I think you're right, don't pay enough attention to that. Um, in some ways, we're all too happy to hand off uh, a lot of these issues, um, which are often difficult um, and time consuming and faculty would rather be spending their time doing something else instead. Um, it's, it's sometimes uh, not in the best interest of the university though, and in our own understanding of what universities are trying to accomplish uh, to be uh, completely hands-off about these things. Um, the task force um, uh, that the Bipartisan Policy Center put together um, is, is interesting and a bit unusual. Um, partially because it was put together um, by a DC think tank, which is not the first place you think of as uh, focused on these questions and these kinds of issues. And because it includes a lot of high level university and societal leaders um, on the membership um, of the task force. As you say, this is in some ways, faculty ought to be front and center um, on, these, on these issues. The task force is not designed uh, to have faculty front and center, but that provides also, I think a very interesting perspective as to how the report winds up uh, being written and, and what kinds of issues it addresses. I think it does it in ways that um, a, a completely faculty-driven report uh, wouldn't be thinking about in quite the same way um, and wouldn't have said all the things uh, that the task force wound up saying. Um, so how did your involvement um, in the task force uh, come about and, and why were you interested in doing it when you got the, when you got the call? Yeah, well, it, it started with with an invitation a, a couple of years ago, maybe two and a half years ago now, to um, a conference at Boca Raton, Florida. Um, I grew up in Montreal, so um, I was I was in. I didn't have to read any any further. And um, I assume it's scheduled uh, during the winter, so <laughs> take maximum advantage of the contrast. Yeah, it was like winter everywhere, but in Boca Raton, um, and it was it was a much larger group, and and there were uh, a few other professors there. Um, there was a, a slew of um, deans and, mm -hmm. and associate deans, and a, a large number of college presidents, and uh, a couple of people from um, foundations, I, I think, and and a representative from uh, First Amendment Watch, which. I hadn't known of that. Um, that's been a great discovery for me. And we just we had a wide ranging discussion about what we think is is going going wrong on campus and what if anything is going right. And it, it really was interesting. I mean, I, I um, criticized student affairs uh, folks uh, a, a few moments ago, but I understand, and I because of my experience on the task force now and, and with this original meeting, I understand their perspective uh, better than I did. And I, I get that they have to uh, keep the peace on, on campus and they have a, um, a defensible interest in in doing so, and and campus life is more complicated than it has ever been before. Not just because of more more diversity, but 
social media, obviously. And, uh, you know, when they talk about their concerns for student safety and emotional well-being, it's, it's genuine. But I did detect, I thought, a kind of consistent refrain or undertone that, you know, when the discussion of ideas impacts that um, emotional well-being, we, we take that as a problem that ought to be solved in the direction of trying to pacify things, reduce tension and so on. And as you've pointed out numerous times, you know, the, the faculty role is to, uh, one, could, one could say, disturb, right? To, uh, to generate unease. And uh, yeah, that, that's also going to involve necessarily some emotional unease and, and indeed offense. But that's, that's part of the, of, of the bargain of um, the higher education enterprise. So it was interesting to, to talk through that and, and share perspectives and see that we, I think we all agreed that there's, there was not a healthy climate on, on campus, but we're, we were not agreed about the way forward mm -hmm. and uh, exact steps to, to make things better. But that was revelatory, and and the task force was then put together with a, a a smaller group from I think almost everybody on the ultimate task force was at the Boca Raton meeting, and it predominantly university presidents, and I I found that an interesting experience too. I think you you referred recently in your conversation with the president of of Claremont to the the job of university president being like the mayor of a town. Uh, either you said that or he did. And I, I think that's quite apt, you know, <laughs> they need to worry about the food service and uh, uh, Wi-Fi and uh, not just the needs of, of faculty, um, let, alone, let alone students. But I, uh, from my own experience, uh, long experience teaching, I've come around to the view that there isn't going to be any significant institutional change or cultural change unless it's driven from, from the top. That presidents really do have the bully pulpit and you know, faculty initiatives or um, um, initiatives coming from outside, they're, they're not going to make a change if if the president is not on board once you have the president on board mm -hmm. things can happen i'll give you one one small example of that a few years ago i invited john roush to speak he's been to Rhodes a few times but uh i scheduled an uh an event for him he hadn't published his new book yet uh but it was on on the question of free speech on campus and i had jim stoner allison stanger jonathan marks uh, and and um, Laura Beth Nielsen um, from Northwestern, mm -hmm. on, you know, just a spectacular program, spectacular panel yeah. that I, I uh, had designed especially for first year students to attend as part of their relatively new first year seminar. And there was no interest on the part of the um, supervisors of the freshman orientation program to have students attend this. And 
Uh, I think it was essentially boycotted, but that may be that may be too strong. Was your sense they were actually hostile to it, or just that that didn't fit their plans, and so they just didn't bother? Uh, both. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that it didn't fit their plan to me was shocking when I saw what their uh, plan was going to be for that hour and fifty minutes that that day. But this was interesting. That very day, same visit, uh, our our college president. Uh, agreed to host a, a lunch discussion with all the principals, including Jonathan. And I think uh, 85 faculty turned up for that. Wow. And it's because the president was there. Yeah. And they were interested in hearing what the president thought about these, these issues. And, and it was a great, it was a great discussion. Um, so yeah, when, when the president talks people People listen. Yeah, it's just an example of the bully pulpit and the significance of uh, having the president on board just to draw attention to the issues. I, I can certainly imagine this is also an example where if the president had been on board at the right time, uh, maybe the answer would have been different <laughs> from uh, from student affairs about whether or not this could be incorporated into yeah. uh, freshman orientation in general. I and mean, one virtue of presidents is they actually oversee all the little pieces of the bureaucracy. Uh, the faculty don't have much leverage over as well as don't really understand very well. Right. Yeah. Um, so so what was the process for the task force? How to actually go about its its business um, and and do its do its work over time? Well, the uh, it was it was led by two two governors, uh, ex former governors Jim Douglas and Christine Gregoire, and and so the bipartisan um, uh, flavor of, of the whole thing was was there at the at the top, and you know they did a they did a good job steering the committee um, through discussions, we might've had at least a, a dozen sessions, some were, uh, webinars, um, that we, we sponsored to discuss some particular issues of, of interest to us. But really, you know, we, we had, we, we started by just sharing our views about what we thought was going well and what was going badly on, on campus. And then with the, the help, uh, which was crucial, I, I think, of, of Jackie Pfeffer Merrill and, and Steve Hayward, who were um, sort of um, behind, not so much behind the scenes, but, uh, but helping us with, with data and things like that, and, and ultimately uh, played a key role in, in drafting the, the report. We, um, you know, we landed on topics that were obviously uh, of, of urgency and looked at specific instances of controversies, how they were dealt with, dealt well or badly. And after a couple of discussions, I think it took us a while to uh, really get, um, get comfortable together as, as a group, although no one was hesitant to express their views, but just to sort of get a sense of what we might be aiming for ultimately. And it was really useful that the task force leaders, in, including the, the governors and Jackie and Steve, kept us pointed towards the, the ultimate goal. You know, we wanna, we wanna say something that's true and useful, but, we, um, you know, we argued about 
um, lots of fundamental issues that that you've written about. Um, what's the real problem on on campus? Is there is there a crisis or is that overblown? Um, the issue of inclusion and free speech was central, and I think there was considerable disagreement on the committee ab about that. Um, not well, maybe that's that's an overstatement. Um, I I think it was true of all the presidents that they they agreed that there is a a problem of both free speech and academic freedom. And of course, those have to be sure. uh, distinguished and, and we did uh, as, as best we could. But they were, they were also, I, I would say, uh, equally concerned that inclusion was, was a real problem. And, and maybe the thing that gets presidential attention more than anything else because of all the ways in which it can manifest mm -hmm. itself and how it touches all kinds of constituencies and uh, domains outside, you know, the classroom or research itself. And I think it took us a while to get to the point where we agreed on what may be our most important you know, finding, so to speak. And, and that is that we don't think there is an essential tension between freedom and inclusion. Um, I still think many people do. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, th I thought that was, that was important. Um, my own perspective was freedom and inclusion won't conflict so long as we remain mindful of the question, inclusion in what? You know, and uh, I think the answer has to be inclusion in the main purpose of the university, the knowledge seeking, knowledge making enterprise that 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 is the ground of of inclusion. But if we think that, um, you know, the meaning of, of inclusion is is simply um, recognizing all the multifarious identitarian claims and so on, there's, there's no way through. Uh, and I, I think the, the report makes that, makes that point. I would have perhaps made it more, more sharply, but I'm, I'm happy with the, the result. And I, I think it's, I think it's true. Yeah. As you say, there's lots of disagreement on that uh, point. It, it, I think, uh, is central to a lot of these debates these days, and and I think the report deals with it quite thoughtfully. Um, and and I'm with you in thinking it comes out uh, in in the right uh, direction on on how to think about that. Um, did you have a lot of skeptics in the room when you started that conversation? Was were there people who really had to have their minds changed to get y'all to that common point, or was it more? Working through the details, trying to figure out the implications. It turns out y'all were sort of on the same page, but uh, but making discovering that took some time. Yeah, I think it. I think it was the latter. Um, we we did we did for a while, um, and this was was probably because I was um, more hawkish uh, about this perhaps than anybody else on the on the committee. We we did perhaps uh, wrangle. Uh, a bit about 
whether in you know the the sort of DEI um, uh, viewpoint was uh, was or was not really trenching on free expression mm-hmm. and, and free inquiry. I think it I think it it has been and and tends tends to. Um, there was disagreement about that, but there was also some disagreement again about the priority. You know, so both things are important, but in these times, and and one uh, significant view on the task force was, especially when uh, we we have a significant demographic change going on 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 campus and um, new new sensitivities and and so new conflicts arising that we actually should focus focus there you know because nothing else is going to work in the institution if there are these if if there's a, a hostile environment on yeah. on campus that's certainly a um, an important very legitimate point of view uh, so you know we we argued with each other yeah. um, uh, and we felt uh, quite free about that, and 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 it was great. And in a way, we we modeled. I, I think the governors pointed this out that we modeled uh, what we were ultimately proposing as as the way to do things on on campus. Uh, they kept lauding us for being better than all the politicians they're used to conversing with <laughs> <laughs> about uh, significant significant matters. Right. Uh, so. Uh... So, so as I say, it's sort of interesting that this is put together ultimately by a DC think tank. And it's also interesting though that the report as it emerges, um, isn't really aimed at government policymakers. It's not like there are legislative recommendations that come out of this or policy recommendations per se. It's really aimed yeah. at the campus community, trying to talk to uh, members of the campus community about what to be, what they ought to be doing uh, going forward. Um, was there ever a moment where the task force was really thinking um, this should be speaking to a political audience instead? Uh, there's a policymaking role for government here and we should be addressing that. Um, or was the plan all along to say, no, no, the goal ought to be to talk to university presidents and um, other administrators about uh, how to think about these things on the campus itself? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I, th- I think that our, our intended audience is higher ed, uh, but you know, throughout the report, we, we mentioned the importance of civic education mm-hmm. and how the reform of, of higher education and the restoration of a, of a culture of free expression, which is our, our most uh, dominant point, not so much a statement of principles a la Chicago, but, but really uh, a culture of, of free yeah. expression. Um, that's, that was really our focus. I mean, we, if anything, I think we're aware that if, that culture is not repaired, we are increasingly going to see legislatures uh, tempted to step in. And I think our collective view is that's likely to make things worse rather than improve them. But I don't think we were, we were specifically trying to address um, the, you know, the policymaking world per se. Uh, I like that. I, yeah, go ahead, sorry. That just brings me back to the emphasis on on um, on culture. I, I thought our deliberations really took 
an important turn the day we we started off with i i guess it was governor uh gregoire who um who brought this up just you know so what do you think a a campus that had a healthy culture of free expression would look like it's a great question you know uh i'm used to think in terms of of uh negative uh, events and trauma and so on but what what does a healthy environment look like and and that was that was interesting and and i think at that point we we had really closed the book on the issue that i had been pushing like uh don't we really want to say the chicago principles are the right statement of of principles to um look it's important but just as posting the 10 commandments isn't going to lead to the moral reform that some people think it it might uh, a statement of principles from the top of the pyramid is is not going to actually change things unless there's buy-in throughout the institution so um that uh, once once we we all agreed that that was the the crucial thing to uh concentrate on i think the contours of the whole report then came came into view yeah i think that's a really valuable element of the report um uh i, I think principles and statements of principles are ultimately quite important we need to be right about the principles and think them through um and we're not always very clear on those and so actually trying to get those out is is a critical thing to to do, and so um, I value those um, opportunities. But um, but thinking about the culture is also terribly important, and and the report does a very nice job of really focusing our attention on. Uh, let's think about the nuances. Let not let's not just think about who's right and who's wrong, um, uh, but try to think about how do you build an environment that is um, a healthy one and contributes to uh, what it is we're ultimately trying to do here, which is to think through ideas and, and learn things um, ultimately. And that's a, I think that's also a very fruitful kind of project and, and the report does it in an yeah. interesting way. And I'll say, I, I think my colleagues uh, persuaded me that indeed it, it does make sense and, and it's just inevitable given the, the diversity of higher ed in, in America that schools are going to approach this in different ways and and they do have their own history and they they have their own sense of of mission um i think for a long time i was pushing the line that look even if you have a, a, a denominational college which of course has has a right and the, and the freedom to make its faith commitment central to its its curriculum if it's also going to bill itself as an educational institution doesn't it have to subscribe to something pretty close to the chicago principles right. and it it was interesting uh, we had an, an entire uh, session with with robert zimmer and and i think robbie george was part mm. of it as as well and um and, and we had an additional number of college presidents participate and not one was was uh, in agreement with with Zimmer about <laughs> Chicago principles being the the way to go and right. you know maybe that's just um, territoriality right that uh, our institution is our institution but I I thought that was that was quite um, interesting and and i hadn't expected it but i'm i'm coming around to that to that view um 
So, so let me ask you more about that then, because I've heard similar things, um, in, in not just in that specific context, but in other kinds of contexts where university presidents um, um, across the country are uh, not all necessarily fully on board with embracing the kind of thing that the Chicago Principles um, does. Um, and I mostly take that as a depressing sign <laughs> that university presidents aren't really committed to some principles yeah. that I think are actually terribly important um, uh, and, and are largely uh, right. Um, and certainly there's a version of that where instead the claim is, well, the Chicago principles are very specific to Chicago and there's other principles that are comparable, but, but different in subtle ways, perhaps, um, or maybe not so subtle ways, um, they're more appropriate for other institutions. So it's, it's about the diversity of institutions and the specifics um, of their specific situation as opposed to, um, uh, we're just not that committed to free speech, um, uh, ultimately. So. So what's your sense of the resistance from the, from the people then that were ex- expressing this? Was it um, uh, more of a reluctance to be fully on board with the um, uh, strongly worded version of the free speech commitments that Chicago principle represents? Or was it, or Chicago statement represents? Or was it um, this sort of, uh, well, everybody does things a little bit differently and it's not one size fits all. And so uh, we all need to be thinking this through on our own rather than just um, uh, adopting uh, theirs and, and uh, plugging it in. Yeah, so there's there's definitely an, an element of um, one size fits all is, is not gonna work uh, ever. Uh, but I, I think more significantly, it, it may be that everyone who has the responsibility for leading an institution like a, like a college, and even if it's a small one, it's still a kind of, of city, um, as, you've, as you've said, really does have a strong sense of how community is, is just you know, the um, crucial value, preserving community and and that they would prefer, uh, this may not be the right way to put it, but I'll I'll try it out. You might prefer to err in that direction than to go, um, you know, whole hog with, we are about, you know, just nonstop, intellectual, fierce intellectual contention. And, uh, you know, we, we sometimes refer to the, to the academic arena and yeah, there, there is an arena aspect to uh, exploring ideas, but I, I get it that um, presenting that as, you know, the college experience, even though I would, I would, and you probably would too say that's, closer to the essence of it than anything else. It's not the whole of it. And so I think um, everybody felt that, you know, they just had to mitigate the, the Chicago um, tone mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and even the substance some, yeah. but, but without, without uh, you know, diminishing the, the commitment to free, free expression and free inquiry. Right, right. Yeah, interesting. Um, so the report um, uh, is broken up into several sections. Um, 
uh, and each of those sections is sort of oriented to a different group on campus um, that sort of appeals to so sort of recommendations and lessons for um, uh, uh, different people um, on the college campus. Um, so I thought I'd just sort of walk through um, each of those sections and each of those um, audiences the report is uh, speaking to, uh, and, and maybe appropriately, um, it begins with what it characterizes as the presidential leadership team um, as sort of the first um, set of people um, uh, that it wants to talk about and talk uh, to. It has some specific ideas about um, how people in the president's office um, ought to uh, be thinking about uh, campus free expression um, issues. Um, and obviously the task force includes several members with presidential um, experience. And so them drawing on that experience and then talking to other university presidents, um, presumably in ways other university presidents can understand uh, is, is interesting and you don't see that um, happening very much. And so um, uh, seeing the report Seeing how presidents think, as it's reflected in the report, uh, is is itself uh, uh, kind of interesting in this in this regard. Um, but the and, and as you noted, the task force thinks that the university presidents have an important and active role to play in promoting a healthy free speech environment on college campuses. They can't just sit back and leave this um, uh, to um, to others. Um, so. And we, and we touched on already sort of a part of why presidents um, are so uh, important, but I wonder if you want to elaborate some on um, uh, what it is presidents ought to be uh, doing on their college campuses um, in order to try to build that healthier environment. What's the, does the task, task force has some kind of specific recommendations about that, but um yeah. Um, but just say more, What's, what, what are your all sort of conclusions in thinking about uh, what, what should presidents be doing if this is something they want to uh, be working on? Right. I think the, the number one thing was the conclusion that presidents need to be prepared and they seem not to be. And it's just disastrous uh, trying to respond you know, in, in an ad hoc way to uh, a significant and, and, you know, increasingly public, uh, maybe even national um, exposure and not really have a, a sense of what your, you know, your own statement of, of your institutional position on these fundamental matters is. Um, and so you get you get a scramble, and um, there's a tendency, also of course, completely understandable, to want to immediately pacify the situation and um, and uh, calm calm the waters. But in the process, perhaps uh, you know just commit some egregious. Um, uh, violations of, of academic freedom or, or just make some, some misjudgments. I, uh, so there, there was a lot of discussion about the need to have some policies and procedures in place and to make sure that everybody on campus, you know, just about every part of the, of the, of the campus understood how, uh, how we process these kinds of, of, uh, controversies. I uh, I was someone. I was still beating my my drum that uh, look. If you don't have a statement of principles, a la Chicago, what's going to inform those policies and procedures? You know, it's um, don't they don't they go together? 
but that was that was a, a fundamental thing. And also this is this point uh, mentioned before, it was clear to everybody that presidents need to spend some of their considerable institutional capital promoting this, saying, you know, the a culture of free speech and inquiry is absolutely central to, to what we do. And uh, Ron Crutcher gave the example of, of his own institution at Richmond, where he introduced a, a speaker series that was designed to talk about some of the conflicts that are, are uh, everywhere and send the message that this is something we ought to be doing routinely, that, that this you know, exemplifies what we are about at the University of, of Richmond. So you know, people like me who have small programs and put on these kinds of, of events, you know, we're happy when we get an audience of, of 50 or, or 100, but when something has the uh, presidential imprimatur on it, like, first of all, everybody on the staff is gonna show up <laughs> and, um, and also lots of, lots of other people. So I, I thought that that was important. And, and again, just indicated that if there is gonna be uh, cultural change, change in the, in the, the tone and, and even the habits of the, of the institution, you know, you can't turn that ship around and, unless you're piloting it. So mm -hmm. uh, I think they all understood that and and agreed on that. Yeah. Um, so we noted that the task force um, uh, doesn't weigh in on uh, the recent Chicago statement that uh, Jeff Stone uh, helped um, author um, at the University of Chicago that's gotten a lot of attention in recent years. Um, but notably, it also does not endorse another um, uh, uh, feature of the University of Chicago's uh, legacy on these issues, which is the Calvin Report um, uh, from a few decades ago. Um, uh, the Calvin Report um, argued that universities um, as institutions should avoid speaking in an institutional voice about contested right. public issues, um, but should instead simply be a forum in which diverse voices uh, can be heard on those issues. So presidents um, uh, of universities uh, should largely be silent on these kind of issues and the faculty um, and other members of the campus right. community who ought to be talking and they'll say lots of different conflicting things um, about these issues. The report doesn't endorse that view. Uh, it doesn't say this is what your president should be doing. They should uh, stick That's to right. uh, this. Um, instead, um, has this interesting language where it um, urges presidents to be thoughtful about how uh, the university ought to take uh, institutional positions and on what kinds of issues. Um, so why go that route and, and say more about um, how the yeah. task force is thinking about uh, the institutional voice and how it ought to be used? Yeah. You know, Keith, that, that may have just been uh, an oversight or mm. not, not, a, not a lapse, really. I mean, we, we did have a discussion about the fact that uh, it's, it's, not, it's not only the case that individuals have free speech rights, that institutions can have free speech rights too. And I think uh, I, I probably had uh, a lot to, to do with the direction of this conversation, you know, because I, I was pushing the point that, look, um, having a speaker on campus, even, you know, pick your most notorious example, mm -hmm. should not 
be understood to be an institutional endorsement of that speaker, you know? So the, the whole platforming thing, I think is, yeah. is um, based on an, on an exaggeration. And, you know, uh, I think what we were trying to, to say in essence was um, just, just that, that of course, you know, the fact that we are going to have provocative speakers on campus who are going to outrage uh, and, and perhaps, you know, quite, uh, quite understandably so, one or another constituency both on and off campus uh, doesn't mean that uh, the institution now subscribes to the offensive view. That ought to go without saying, but here we are, we're, you know, we're going to say it. I, I don't think we meant that institutions should feel free to, uh, at, the, at the top, to, you know, uh, make a pronouncement on um, climate change or, um, or DACA or some other uh, controverted issue of, of public policy. Well, you know, what isn't controverted? Yeah. So uh, I think the, without specifically using the language that I agree with you would right. perhaps have been, have been better. I think we're still close to the idea that what the institution should, should say uh, amounts to this is the kind of place we we are our our goal is to um not promote ideas but to provide the field for the discussion of of ideas and that's going to be a controverted um upsetting messy business but it's also the the path of of progress towards greater knowledge and that's what we that's what we stand for but just like um you know, Twitter, uh, this is obviously a controversial, shouldn't be held responsible for everything said on, on yeah. Twitter. You know, you, you can't apply that, that judgment to the, to the university. I suppose we could have said that uh, more clearly, more, more forcefully, but um, I, think, I think the presidents on, on the committee sort of have that, have that mm -hmm. view. They're not anticipating putting out their, you know, monthly newsletter on how to fix the world. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Presumably they have some other things they ought to be doing as well. Although right. we've, but we certainly have seen lots of instances of university um, administrators and leaders uh, yeah. feeling the need to weigh in on a wide range of issues. It's um, in some ways I think that that, that issue is sort of more on the table to be thinking about uh, now than it probably was 10 years That's ago, right. for example, um, or sort of in this moment where um, there are lots of demands on university leaders to, to speak in the institutional voice, um, uh, which raises interesting questions about, important questions about um, uh, under what circumstances they ought to be doing so and what should that uh, process look like. Um, right. Um, the report next turns to uh, trustees, which, um, uh, which I really appreciate. They're often left out of these uh, conversations, which seems to me sort of an obvious mistake. We've uh, seen lots of instances where trustees uh, find themselves um, uh, intervening in campus free speech uh, uh, disputes in various kinds of ways. They also um, make important policies um, on free speech uh, questions. Um, um, I've been struck um, of late as I sort of look at university policies uh, relating to academic freedom issues, for example, is how often those policies 
um, have to come from the trustees if they're going to have uh, real weight in the governing documents of a university and to help regulate uh, university life. So at some point you, you need the trustees on board um, on a lot of important questions relating to um, uh, free speech. Um, so can you say a bit about what the report um, uh, had to say about trustees? How were you all thinking about trustees and to, to what degree are they um, uh, a helper hindrance when it comes to uh, thinking about campus free speech issues? Well, uh, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you because as you can tell from the, the very <laughs> short paragraph devoted to trustees, we, we didn't say uh, a lot about it, but you know, we, we included them, of course, because the whole theme is this is, this is an institutional uh, commitment or it's just uh, not going to amount to, to anything. I'll, um, I'll, spe I'll speak for the presidents on, on this, that um, you know, they, uh, they understand the importance of boards of trustees, but I don't think anybody um, thought it would be a good thing to have trustees play the, um, the or uh, trustees take the initiative mm -hmm. on, um, on this matter. But, but they have to be, they can't be left out, mm -hmm. right? Um, because they have the ultimate fiduciary responsibility for the for the institution, but um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm I'd be I'd be guessing too much if I if I tried yeah. to read the thoughts of it. We didn't we didn't say much about trustees per se. Nobody had nobody had an interesting uh, story about um, trustees getting out of the getting out of the box or or something like that. Yeah, so this is less a question of, of y'all were internally divided about what to say about trustees than, than just the issue was not, uh, uh, there were there were a sufficient number of, of obviously good ideas about what to say about uh, uh, trustees. I mean, there certainly are, as you know, sections that are quite long and other sections that are quite yep. short uh, in yep. the report. There's a lot to be said uh, in the report about presidents and what, right. and what the president's <laughs> leadership team ought to be doing. Uh, not very much said about uh, trustees and what they ought to be doing, although they're addressed. Um, and so uh, an interesting question whether to what degree they, they, that was sort of a, a delicate issue and, and everyone wanted to be diplomatic about what they said about trustees or, or if that wasn't right. what was holding people back or instead they just uh, didn't know what else to say. Right, you know, I, I underlined something in our, in our uh, section, which was one way that trustees might play a role is, is uh, through supporting well-designed campus climate surveys. Well, right. I, I don't think anybody wants to turn the survey over to the trustees uh, because those are, her uh, often used as as leverage, but yeah, you know, uh, I think we we were serious that um, trustees trustees should be made aware that indeed there is uh, often a serious you know free inquiry culture problem on their on their campus, something to pay attention to that it would be appropriate to include them in, in some of these um, scenarios, tabletop exercises, I think we, mm -hmm. we call them, uh, that they should know about that. I mean, in my experience, the, you know, the trustees show up and, and they get a really rosy scenario. Right. What's going on with the, the food is instantly better in the cafeteria. <laughs> the gardeners are working over time before they arrive planting roses. And um, I think, we we wanted to communicate that 
trustees need to get a sense of, of this picture uh, along with, with everybody else. Right. Yeah. When I first got to Princeton, uh, a longtime administrator in my uh, department uh, said that she always volunteered for uh, the university to use uh, our seminar room for uh, trustee meetings uh, because then we would get a new paint job uh, for that room as part of it. So, so she could count on every few years that room would get newly painted uh, so it could host the trustees. I'm going to file that away because my, my current uh, building has been neglected. This is important information for for department chairs in the in the future. Um, yeah, in my in my first job uh, in academia, um, uh, the, the university uh, did not have the same kind of funds and was not quite as well kept as uh, Princeton University was. Um, but where where they really perked up uh, was when uh, the parents were coming uh, for graduation, um, and so uh, suddenly the potholes were getting fixed in all yeah. the parking lots and and everything else uh, for when the parents were coming to town. So. So, you know, you know, there are these moments where the university wants to uh, uh, right. dress up a little bit. Right. Um, so, uh, so maybe we're skipping ahead actually a bit and then we'll come back to faculty because faculty sure. is one of the longer sections where there's more to be said. Uh, but the other uh, section that is notably brief with a paragraph even shorter uh, than the trustees is, is uh, speaking to athletic directors and coaches. Um, uh, which again is is very interesting that the report addresses athletic directors and coaches on this issue. It's not, I think, generally um, a constituency people think much about in this context. Um, but I thought the report was very thoughtful and, and said some very important things, um, correctly noting uh, this is actually important um, uh, from a campus free speech um, issue. So uh, can you say a bit about that uh, that paragraph? Yeah, we, uh, we didn't have extensive discussions of this, but you know, uh, some of our members were uh, at, at D1 institutions where <laughs> sports is a big deal to yeah. say the least. And, you know, they were uh, aware of, of the recent issue of uh, really a kind of revolution, I think, in college mm -hmm. athletics um, having to do with, with name, image, likeness, and so on. But we were also mindful of the, um, examples, uh, that were, uh, going on here and there of, you know, athletes taking a knee, right. Right. Um, and that led to the, to the issue or the, or the, uh, dimension of the, the main issue. Well, there, there can be free speech, uh, related, concerns that spring up in just about any part of the of the college and we shouldn't leave athletics out it's it's an important part of the life of of students and um we don't we don't have a a lot to say uh about it other i think than sending sending the message to those who run athletic programs that you know the institution's commitment to free speech, free inquiry principles isn't something that just ends at the classroom door. You need to take that seriously too. I think we, we may have heard some examples of uh, coaches or athletic directors, you know, bringing the, the hammer down on, on athletes who, who wanted to um, express themselves in, in the athletic um, domain. It's an it's a really interesting issue about how we should how we should cope with that, but we we don't say a lot about it. But but again, it's it's intended to 
make the point that there are some genuine speech-related, uh, freedom-related matters here, and athletics doesn't have a blank check to run its run its own shop. Yeah, athletics is a weird animal in, in the context of universities. Um, uh, coaches can do a lot of things for their student athletes that uh, faculty would never dream of <laughs> trying to get away with doing uh, yeah. with uh, students. And, and so uh, the whole culture of how to think about students when they are working in the context of, of athletics is... Um, uh, is is quite different and puts real pressure on on core features of what universities care about uh, more more generally and um, including ways in which uh, the sort of solidarity and team emphasis of sports can um, uh, really lead to uh, trying to quash any dissent um, or expression that individual students might want to um, engage in uh, for all kinds of reasons. And um, uh, I, you know, I, I do appreciate the report at least trying to grapple with that and, and call yeah. attention to the fact that, um, as you say, the sort of larger concerns and values of the university uh, really shouldn't stop, uh, not only at the classroom door, but they shouldn't stop at the stadium gates um, either. Um, uh, they ought to extend into this athletic arena, um, which often is sort of a domain of its own. Yeah. I mean, we're always we're always talking about on on campuses, especially uh, I, I think uh, D three schools, where you know we we make the point of of saying students are are here for academics first, and you know coaches need to understand that while they'd like to start their practice at two o'clock on right. Friday afternoon, that's a bridge too too far. Um, so we. You know, we we want to bring athletics into the uh, greater campus purview, but in in that way. But on this on this issue, they should also know what's what's being said, what our policies are, uh, think about the questions, contribute to the to the discussion. That's that would be a good thing, right? Right. Um, so as I said, there's a lot in the report um, uh, sort of addressed to faculty and about um, faculty related issues. I think here, um, in some ways, the report, I think, is is um, more familiar to lots of other discussions about uh, campus free speech um, that sort of surround faculty, because in part, these things often do um, um, revolve around faculty in particular and sort of the conversations relating to presidents um, and, and coaches, for example, are, are less familiar and, and more distinctive to the report. Um, but what do you take away as sort of being the, the really central message of what the report has to say about um, faculty and how they ought to be in uh, thinking about these issues? One at one of our meetings, um, someone asked me because, they're, they're, you know, I was the faculty specimen. You uh, represent all faculty. All faculty, yeah. They, they found someone so generic and, and plain vanilla, uh, or they, they wanted someone like that, and they, and they got me. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you want from um, we, we administrators fundamentally in, in these circumstances? And I think my answer was, we want the assurance that you've got our back. Right. And we want you to understand how um, perilous uh, today the situation of, of faculty can be as we go about just doing our jobs, you know, and, and this, 
this is a peril that can uh, rise up on on every part of the of the spectrum of of faculty. That things really do seem to have have changed. Um, I think I singled out at at one point what I thought was the um, the the now demonstrable uh, bad influence of the bias response system that's in place mm -hmm. everywhere, how um, it had, it had uh, led to some, some really egregious um, uh, examples of, of mistreating faculty. And, you know, the, I, the idea that this is a, an educational process, right? I, I argued was, um, Pretty or Orwellian to to me, um, I you know I, I granted that of course it's it's important for deans to know what's going on on their campus. There has to be a process for reporting instances of discrimination and and uh, harassment and and so on. But the system that we've put in place which now I would argue sort of encourages students to, uh, to find violations, or at a minimum gives them, and this is certainly uh, my experience at, at my school, gives them, them no uh, education, no kind of training about what is or is not uh, something that ought to be reported. Yeah. Which I, I think is it, it just astounds me, and that's one immediate reform in student orientation. I would I would like to see, but I, I was trying to convey the sense that um, faculty now are are looking over their shoulder, monitoring themselves more, and one could say, well, and and well, they should, you know, because uh, of of abuses in in the past, but. I think it's it's unequivocal that there's it's led to an atmospheric change in the in the classroom, and as I mentioned, I've I've noticed it. And you know, is it a crisis? Yeah. yeah. What's the data? That's uh, that's always going to be argued. I've I haven't met anybody in uh, in my experience who didn't have a story to tell about their their institution. So I think the report says the right things about what um, students ought to expect in a, in a classroom and makes the point that, you know, if, if your expectation is that you are uh, not going to be uncomfortable or occasionally be offended or take objection to something, then you're just, you know, fundamentally misunderstanding the the thing that we we do here and that the the appropriate the the first uh response to hearing something ob objectionable ought to be to go ahead and object to it uh not necessarily rush to report it to an authority um i think we could have been uh stronger on that on that score but you know that's my my own uh territorial interest i i think we we said the right things and said them sufficiently forcefully in in that section 
um, and emphasize, I, I like the fact that we emphasize that we've got to not simply tolerate uh, controversy when it, when it pops up, but actually invite it and, and seek disagreement and just explain that that's, that's what we do, right? Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's part of the whole process from uh, discussing books in a, in a class through peer review, um, that what we do is relentlessly critical, evaluative, and, and the fact that a, a teacher um, gives you a C on a, on a paper um, doesn't mean that the teacher hates you or doesn't respect your, your, um, your worth, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, students need to, need to learn that. Yeah. Um, they, there's no reason why we should expect them to know that what we often call the rough and tumble of the, of the classroom is the way things operate. And, um, and they, and, and indeed, you know, there are limits to that, that everybody mm -hmm. has to be aware of. But I think that's what we were, we were trying to say that something has gone wrong um, on, on most college campuses. At that Boca Raton meeting, we were just going around the room in one sentence saying what we thought um, was, was significant on, on our campus. And, and another professor uh, offered this, my students won't speak up in class anymore and I feel constrained. And I thought that exactly captured my own experience. And I, I think I mentioned that, you know, every other week to the, right. to the committee. Um, and in this section of the, of the report, we're trying to address that. Yeah, as you say, if there aren't intellectual controversies occurring on your campus, then you're doing something wrong. Um, ultimately, universities um, ought to be places where we expect those kinds of controversies um, uh, to be occupying our attention. That's that's why we're interesting and exciting places in some ways is precisely in order to uh, spur those kind of controversies and, and engage them. Um, uh, but but clearly we have some difficulty actually uh, sustaining people's commitment uh, to those kinds of notions. You're, you're, you're pointing when you start out of saying what you, what faculty really, really need out of their administrators is a willingness to have their back when, when controversies erupt um, over uh, things that are within bounds about what professors have done. Obviously there are occasions when you can't have the professors back if they're behaving in ways they shouldn't be behaving. Um, but um, you know, it's a core feature of what has um, spurred the creation and growth of the Academic Freedom Alliance was the extent to which faculty all over the country, left, right, and center, um, don't feel confident that administrators um, have their back, worry instead that administrators can be on the other side of these um, uh, disputes and are going to be way too quick um, to abandon them rather than stand up for them uh, when, when someone complains, which is um, just terribly unfortunate. Yeah. In, in the meeting we had with, with Robert Zimmer, I, I think I can, I can disclose this, the, the last point he made, which, which has uh, stayed with me, this was months and months and months ago, was that, uh, you know, at the end of a week on a Friday afternoon, uh, a university president shouldn't look back and, and think uh, because things had been quiet, no, no crisis of any kind, that this was a, this was a good week. <clears throat> he said, um, 
things should always be stirring up on campus. And if they're not stirring up on campus, as, a, as the leader of the institution, you ought to look into, into that. I thought that was, that was just um, completely right, you know, stirring in, in the right way, um, that we should always be, be in a, in a mindful of where the ferment is in this domain of, of uh, study or, or that. Um, so peace, peace is, uh, overrated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, what a lot of people don't see from the outside is how much there are genuine intellectual controversies being stirred up on campus that don't result in people screaming at each other, um, on YouTube. <laughs> and so it's, a you know, there are a lot of the, uh, uh, intellectual engagement and, uh, disagreement and debate, um, uh, that occurs on campus is occurring very routinely in very ordinary ways uh, and, and very uh, peaceful uh, ways in seminar rooms and laboratories um, and, and the like. Um, and, and you certainly wanna be encouraging that uh, as well, as well as the occasional moment uh, where uh, people are, where there are more fireworks uh, that might be involved. Um, so the last um, component of the report um, uh, turns to student affairs. Um, you know, uh, they are the student affairs administrators on college campuses um, or on the front line of a lot of uh, free speech um, controversies. Um, uh, they are trying to manage those controversies as they break out among student groups there. Their central mission in some ways is um, less about the intellectual life of the institution, but as you say, making sure everybody gets along with one another um, uh, reasonably well. Um, and um, that's a somewhat different mission, uh, but an important one that also needs to be performed um, on, on university campuses. We occasionally find student affairs administrators um, are themselves at the heart of controversies um, as yeah. has recently happened um, at Yale um, Law School, um, uh, for example. Um, so what do student affair administrators need to know about um, uh, free speech? And uh, from your perspective, are they in general doing a good job on this front? Yeah. Um, I've, as you can tell from our conversation so far, I, I tend to be more, more critical of the student affairs um, side of, of the campus on, on these issues. Um, and so I, I might have a somewhat different view from the, from the report it, itself. I think there's, there's a, a problem that we might have uh, sharpened a bit, a bit, which is, again, the, the interest of student affairs, the responsibility of, of student affairs people is to um, make sure students feel at home and um, comfortable and, and happy on, on campus. And that's, that's important. What I've worried about and occasionally voiced on, on the committee is that that concern really did begin to uh, intrude on the domain of discussion and inquiry. And I can give you an, an example from, from Rhodes. Uh, some years ago, this this act this incident actually triggered the um, the free speech committee at at Rhodes. The students wanted it. The student affairs office uh, forbade the student government 
from inviting the editorial board of the onion to campus we were, they were going to get the whole editorial board um tons of money yeah to talk to talk about politics um just before the uh, trump midterms and you know of course what was the onion going to do they were going to be funny they were sure. going to be uh, relentlessly satirical as they as they are and um the students were told no you can't can't do that because um, the the mood on campus in 2016 was so fraught. We don't want to have a repeat of of this. And um, there was an an incident which uh, I, I'm not sure has ever been verified though of a of a you know uh, physical harassment the night of the election. One incident. And, and this was uh, mentioned as the rationale. And, you know, the students quite properly uh, thought that, that this was just outrageous. And um, I made the point loudly in our, in our own committee that I thought this was just infantilizing and you know, <laughs> an egregious violation of, right. of free speech principles, um, but it, it was defended um, by some of our student affairs people as, you know, look, safety first. If, if students feel unsafe, uh, that's something that we can't ignore. And uh, that to me is, is another sort of systemic um, problem on, on campuses these days, because look, Student affairs has primary responsibility for the well-being of students. And if a student tells you they're unsafe, like you've got to drop everything. That's a pull the fire alarm moment. But increasingly, as, as, as you certainly know, uh, the, the safety issue is, is raised because a speaker like Peter Singer is going to come to campus. Or apparently the onion. <laughs> yeah, or the or the or the onion yeah um the, i mean the best headline uh, in onion history was the one from i think it was around 2015 college great place to debate idea right <laughs> um, and and we unfortunately proved that so uh i don't know that that the student affairs folks um generally are persuaded that there's a, a problem here. I think they're more inclined to talk about free speech being weaponized and, um, and so on. And, and that's a real conflict. And once again, that's, that's a reason why presidents need to take a position on this because faculty uh, don't, have, uh, don't have any authority over student affairs. And I think there's, there's been a kind of drift in allowing the student affairs to, to have primary responsibility for, uh, as I said earlier, I think, initiating students into the culture of the college or the, or the university. And that's, you know, that's not their skill set. That's, that's what we ought to be doing. And you know, so how many of us are going to volunteer to, yes. uh, to do that, right? That's, that's going to come next. And that's, that's for real. But 
uh, I think that is part of the part of the problem. I don't know that the report puts it uh, anywhere close to that, but that was a perspective that I kept bringing to to our discussions. Yeah, it's a real challenge, and it's. It, this drift has been very frustrating about the safetyism in that regard. Because as you say, if there's a genuine safety issue, it is a sort of drop everything moment in order to try to address. And as we sort of inflate that rhetoric, um, one of the depressing features of that, not only does it mean that it sort of uh, overrides a lot of other important things we ought to be doing on university campuses, but it's harder and harder to tell when is that moment when in fact you need to drop everything and you actually need to respond because there are genuine safety issues here. We've just lost the capacity to be able to um, adequately separate out those uh, those things in, in quite troubling ways, um, even given their core mission of student, if student administrators think that student affairs uh, people think that uh, preserving right. student safety is, is crucial to what they ought to be doing. Uh, it also ought to be very important to determine, well, when is safety actually at stake and when is it not so much? Right. So I, I think the report is sending its, its general message again that you too, uh, student affairs, yeah. staffers have an important role to play in fostering uh, a culture of free expression and, and free inquiry. Um, and I, I don't disagree with, with any of that. Um, I, I do think uh, in, in their case, there, there is going to be more of a, of a lingering tension between the commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, as they understand it, and, and free speech and, and inquiry. And again, there doesn't have to be, but um, there's got to be some kind of breakthrough there. And honestly, um, student affairs staffers and, and faculty, how often do they talk about yeah. Im important topics? Maybe they will serve on committees together, but um, that's another reason to, to really have an institutional conversation and to find a way to do that. So it's not gonna be pro forma and a, and a one and done sort of thing, but there's, there's a lot of, of work to be done and a lot of, of reading together and, and arguing together and working through uh, scenarios, I think, and, yeah. and revisiting events like The Onion or The Peter Singer uh, thing and um, asking, you know, on on all sides, how did we handle this? What what if anything went went wrong? Yeah, I think but there's I think a real important dialogue that can happen that can happen there and needs to happen uh, there. I mean, I've 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 been very encouraged in some ways by my conversations with student affairs administrators over the last few years as I've been doing this kind of thing and talking to them. Um, I often do find there's actually common ground here. There's openness on their part to actually thinking about some of these issues um, and trying to take them on board. A lot of these issues they have not thought about very carefully. And so they are often open to trying to think it through uh, more carefully. And I also found it eye-opening to hear some of their stories about the ways in which students find themselves in conflict with one another, which, yes. you know, if, if what you're primarily dealing with is students in their dorm rooms, for example, that's a different experience to dealing with students in the seminar rooms. <laughs> and those kind of conflicts uh, look pretty different as, as well. And so I think as faculty, we also have a lot to learn 
from their perspective and their experience about uh, what are all the challenges on a university campus of, of dealing with students um, and keeping the peace um, that um, uh, can get into some uh, making some really difficult judgment calls. Um, and yeah. we all need to be talking through and thinking about um, how do we how do we grapple with that? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, just so I'm not misunderstood, I, I think it's it's absolutely yeah. necessary that an institution has a, a code of conduct for yeah. students and and faculty. We we've got to have it, but we've got to have some some uh, significant discussion about why we have it yeah. and and how it's interpreted and so on. And in my experience, anyway, we just don't, you know, yeah. we present these things to students, but we really don't do much. I asked one of my classes uh, how, for, for some people who were RAs to discuss, you know, um, how they would handle a situation, which is one of our scenarios in which a student puts up a, a flag in a, yeah. in a dorm room and uh, leads to a, to a complaint. And the RA is the first line of response, you know, and uh, it turns out, yeah, they don't get any uh, kind of instruction on no. on this, even about what the policies are. And when yep. you go to look at the university policies, you see everything is about, is it a fire hazard or not? <laughs> but they don't touch the issue of whether this is uh, an expressive uh, freedom or, or not. And um, so we had some interesting discussions about about flags, including the, the Nicki Minaj flag at, yeah. at Harvard, which became... Uh, an issue, um, but it 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 reinforced for me that on the you know the residential side of, of the campus, which can be the most important part of, of uh, life for for the student, there is a lot going on there that faculty don't have much right. knowledge about, and certainly no no control over. But issues arise there that are are going to be as you know quite different from what go, comes comes up in the in the classroom but we need to be talking about that too yeah um, no I think that's absolutely right um, so I really appreciate uh, you're taking the time to uh, walk through uh, these issues and the report it is a, a tremendously useful and interesting uh, document it takes it takes a different angle um, on uh, some kind of familiar issues and I think uh, people um, on university campuses would do really well to um, uh, take a look at it. Certainly university leaders would do well um, to have a close look at it and, and try to think it through. Um, again, there's a link to the roadmap um, in the show notes for this uh, episode of the podcast. And it can also be found on the website of the Bipartisan uh, Policy uh, Center. And again, that's the uh, roadmap um, on campus uh, free expression, which is the report of the Academic Leaders Task Force on Campus Free Expression produced by the Bipartisan Policy uh, Center. So thank you, thank you for joining us uh, for this episode of the podcast. Um, please subscribe to the Academic Freedom Podcast through your favorite platform so that you don't miss an episode um, and rate us on your platform, uh, which will help others find our conversations on campus free speech and academic freedom. Thanks for joining us on the Academic Freedom Podcast. This has been a production of the Academic Freedom Alliance, or the AFA. We are a coalition of hundreds of faculty from a range of backgrounds and ideologies who are committed to defending the free speech rights of professors at colleges and universities. You can learn more about our organization at our website, academicfreedom.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us next time on the Academic Freedom Podcast.